Toward the start of the 1960s, life for some, Londoners was poverty-stricken and boring. The severity of post-war proportioning was a new memory, finishing just a short time previously. Having gained the preference for pain-free income by exploiting his work in a sausage facility to sell black market meat, Ronald Christopher Buster Edwards, was graduating to thefts with his companion Gordon Goody. Their brushes with the law carried them into contact with Brian Field, an attorney's assistant. His administrations didn't stop at setting up their protections. For a cut of the returns, Field would pass the duo details of his company's customers as possible targets. Ahead of schedule in 1963, Field acquainted them with an outsider referred to just as the Ulsterman. Accepted to be Belfast-born Patrick McKenna, this corrupt Manchester mailman brought captivating news, enormous money aggregates were being carried on the overnight mail trains from Glasgow to London. A tempting target, if over goodies and Edwards pay grade. They took the data to an accomplished South London criminal called Bruce Richard Reynolds. In the months that followed, Reynolds began to assemble an impromptu gang. The Master Plan The plan was exquisitely basic. The pack would stop the train in open countryside in Buckinghamshire at Sears Crossing, near the town of Ledburn, where a sign could be meddled with. While this was the ideal spot to stop the train, high embankments made it unsatisfactory for emptying the plunder. For that, the train would be moved to close Bridego Bridge. The mail train was normally long, its coaches monitored by up to 80 mail men who spent the excursion arranging letters and bundles. The group found that high-value packages, HVPs, were put away in the second coach from the front, so the gang wanted to uncouple only the initial two coaches. When they arrived at Bridego Bridge, they could dump sacks of registered mail using a human chain from the high embankment to a dropside truck waiting on the street underneath. Reynolds wouldn't leave anything to risk, so in the event that the seized driver wouldn't do their requests, one of the group would go through months studying train manuals. Acting like a teacher, he convinced a driver on a rural line to have a good time with him along, observing intently, he got certain fundamentals. Reynolds additionally enlisted a completely experienced driver for safety. Field, in the meantime, arranged the purchase of the unwanted Leatherslade farm, about 50 kilometers, 30 miles, from Sears Crossing, which would be their hideout after the theft. Execution of the Great Plan Not long before 7 p.m. on Wednesday, 7th of August, the train left Glasgow, with veteran driver Jack Mills at the controls and his co-driver David Whitby next to him. The HVP mentor was carrying 2.6 million pounds, about 49 million pounds today, in real money instead of the £300,000 or so the gang had been expecting because of the public occasion on the past Monday, during which the banks had been shut. When the train arrived at Sears Crossing, gangsters had messed with the sign lights, they slipped a glove over the green light to smudge it out and wired the red stop sign to a different battery. An amazed mill stopped the train and Whitby went to explore. At the point when he attempted to report in from the trackside phone, he tracked down that the wires had been cut. As Whitby advanced back towards the train, he was heaved down the precarious bank by men in bike head protectors and ski covers. In the meantime, gangsters wearing veils and gloves moved into Mills' cab and thumped him oblivious with an iron bar, others uncoupled the coaches from the back of the HVP coach and overpowered and cuffed the mailman. It soon became evident that the substitution driver, a retired person known as Stan Agate to the gang, couldn't operate the cutting-edge Class 40 diesel-electric train. Along these lines, having taken out Mills, the looters needed to revive him so he could take them up the line to Bridego Bridge. Passing the mailbags along a human chain down the embankment, the group immediately stacked the truck. Cautioning the cuffed mailman and the HVP coach not to call the police for 30 minutes, the gang made their victorious route back to the hideout at Leatherslade Farm. The Oversight It was for sure incredible train burglary, and if everything seems like something from a film, that is because, in ongoing many years, 
Such extravagantly coordinated heists have been considerably more well-known with moviemakers than with criminals. In addition to the fact that crimes resemble this dangerous, however, they are colossally working seriously. Up to 17 men seem to have been engaged with the theft, although right up till the present time, a couple of members stay unidentified. The gangsters split the loot uniformly, so as not to cause division, which would have added a likely wellspring of risk. Nonetheless, the high number of individuals implied in the activity conveyed chances, for example, a gangster being rash with his loot or discussing the burglary. Eventually, an associate of the gang members, in jail himself, and confident of an arrangement, passed on some tattle that he had heard from other people, giving an indispensable lead to the investigators to seek after. The plan disentangles. In the meantime, in the burglar's farmhouse, confidence had offered an approach to tension. The plan had been to hide for seven days, yet it was soon evident that the police, efficiently clearing the surrounding countryside, were shutting in. Investigators had noticed the looter's 30-minute warning to the staff of the HVP coach, which recommended a hideout inside 30 minutes' drive. Police looked through Leatherslade Farm after a neighbor announced uncommon action at the farm. The burglars had gone, yet fingerprints were found on a Monopoly game they had played, just as on a ketchup bottle. The plan's breakdown was just about as unexpected and tumultuous as its arranging had been patient. Eleven of the looters were immediately caught together in South London. Most of the eleven were imprisoned for a very long time, a serious sentence for a crime in which no one had been killed. Nonetheless, it created compassion toward the looters. Two of them got away from jail, in August 1964, companions of member Charlie Wilson broke into Birmingham's Winston Green prison to grab him. The following July, Ronnie Biggs moved over the wall at Wandsworth Prison, 